listening to West Virginia Week, a regular podcast from West Virginia Public Broadcasting that looks back at the major stories of the week. I'm your host this week, Randy Yowie. This week we'll hear about efforts and lawsuits intended to quell the corrections crisis. There's a new low-cost air route to get to Myrtle Beach, and the National Christmas Tree is bound for D.C. from right here in WV. Let's jump right in with a few short news stories. On Thursday afternoon, West Virginia's two-term U.S. Senator Joe Manchin ended months of speculation, the Democrat announcing he would not seek re-election. Brianna Heaney has that story. Joe Manchin was elected governor of West Virginia in 2005 and then took over the U.S. Senate seat vacated by Robert C. Byrd in 2010. He served two terms. In his announcement, Manchin said long talks with his family and months of deliberation led to this decision, and he thanked the people of West Virginia for their support and faith in him. To the West Virginians who have put their trust in me and fought side by side to make our state better, it has been my honor of my life to serve you. Thank you. Manchin says he has plans to travel the country, speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring America together. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. A settlement in a lawsuit alleging inhumane jailhouse treatment is pending, and Governor Jim Justice says more employee firings may be on the way. After a federal magistrate ruled that state workers purposely destroyed evidence and he recommended judgment for the inmates, Justice's Chief of Staff Brian Abraham says it was in the best interest of the state to resolve the matter. Abraham, who fired two top correctional leaders, says an internal investigation is ongoing regarding any other employees that might be implicated. The inmates' complaint alleges inhumane and overcrowded conditions at the Southern Regional Jail near Beckley. In his weekly media briefing, Justice said the people he sent to inspect jail conditions were not truthful in their reports. We had people that purposefully, you know, uh, covered stuff up. What we found wasn't very pretty. The inmate's attorney says the undisclosed settlement involves only financial relief, and a separate lawsuit against justice is about getting jail conditions corrected statewide. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. Breeze Airways has added a new route to its service from West Virginia's Charleston International Jaeger Airport. Caroline McGregor reports. Breeze Airways will begin new service from Charleston to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina next May. The air carrier will offer one-way fares from $49 if purchased by November 14th for travel completed by September 3rd, 2024. Jaeger Airport Marketing Director Paige Withrow says the new route is popular among passengers. Our community is constantly asking for a Myrtle Beach route. Um, it opens up new possibilities for both our leisure and our business travelers in West Virginia. So we're excited to see Breeze continue to grow as they introduce new destinations here at CRW. Breeze Airways currently offers routes to Orlando and Tampa, Florida. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor. The West Virginia Board of Education has issued a state of emergency for special education services in Hampshire County schools. Liz McCormick has more. The West Virginia Department of Education's Office of Accountability conducted a special circumstance review in September of Hampshire County schools following three years of a lack of progress on a state-issued improvement plan. The September review identified issues with administrative processes, incomplete, incorrect, or out-of-date individualized education plans, or IEPs, and inconsistencies in special education curriculum across the county. The review also identified inexperienced, uncertified, or long-term substitute teachers in special education roles. 
The state board directed State Superintendent of Schools Michelle Blatt to appoint designees who will coordinate on-site school improvement efforts. The county will have six months from the time it receives recommendations to make changes before the state board considers additional action. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Liz McCormick in Shepherdstown. Anti-Semitism in America is up 400 percent since the Israel-Hamas war began a month ago, and West Virginia law enforcement is on high alert. This past Monday, state agencies partnered with the FBI to conduct anti-Semitism training for law enforcement. We were a very open, welcoming place, and we needed security, security system. We needed to take training in active shooter uh, contingencies. Rabbi Victor Yurecki, speaking with a voice of fear and a heart of hope, told those gathered at his Benai Jacob Temple in Charleston why he can't leave the doors open anymore. Southern District U.S. Attorney Will Thompson says before October 7th, hate crime preparedness was preventive. Now it's alarmingly vital. I regret that we still have Nazis are part of our news cycle. I mean, that, that's really sad, but we are seeing it. The FBI is the lead agency for hate crime violations. FBI agent Tony Rausa referred to Charleston, saying anti-Semitic red flags go beyond hate-inspired rallies. There were individuals disseminating some messages of hate um, along the west side in particular. We saw someone dropping leaflets in plastic bags with some material and kind of indiscriminately throwing them out across uh, people's properties. Captain Eric Drennan with the Kanawha County Sheriff's Department says his team is ready in case any hate crime rally might get out of hand. People come out, do their protests, and are usually well-behaved, but we do have contingency plans in place in case something uh, out of the ordinary would happen. Rabbi Yurecki says he hopes those here and joining in from around the state virtually would leave this meeting with a sense of purpose and hope. As members of the Jewish community right now, we're scared. We're scared from what we're seeing from the far right and from the far left, a dramatic rise of hatred and anti-Semitism. And what we are seeing here is an outpouring of a sense of responsibility and a sense of urgency that we must try to see what we can do to help. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. You're listening to West Virginia Week, and now some of our top feature stories from the past week. Thousands gathered at the state capitol on Tuesday to see the tree that's going to the U.S. Capitol for Christmas. Curtis Tate spoke to a U.S. Forest Service educator about the people's tree. For the first time in more than 40 years, the U.S. Capitol Christmas tree is from West Virginia. It was harvested in the Monongahela National Forest in Randolph County on November 1st. Yeah, it's a Norway spruce. It came from Laurel Fort Campground in Randolph County. It's 63 feet tall, uh, weighs about 8,000 pounds. That's Meadow Arbogast, a conservation educator with the U.S. Forest Service. She says the tree comes from a different region every year. So every year a different national forest is selected to provide the tree from the US, for the U.S. Capitol Christmas tree. It usually goes by regions, so there's 10 regions of national forests in the United States, and Region 9 was selected. There are a few states in Region 9, but finally uh, it came back to West Virginia. We've done this project two other times in 1970 and 1976. It was 67 degrees in Charleston on Tuesday evening. 
Arbogast says it was nothing like that the day the tree was cut down. Yeah, our harvest day was 19 degrees and it was snowing, so this is incredibly different than cutting it down. <laughs> Charleston won't be the last place West Virginians can see the tree, though it is bundled up and loaded on a 100-foot flatbed truck. No, we have quite the journey still. It'll be delivered on November 17th and we have more stops to come. I think this is stop number five of our 19-stop tour. <laughs> the tree came to Huntington on Wednesday. Wheeling is next, followed by Morgantown, Davis, Romney, and Harper's Ferry. The tree will be lighted on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol after Thanksgiving. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Herschel Woody Williams was an American hero, the last living World War II recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor and a proud West Virginian. After a lifetime of service, the Marion County native died last summer at the age of 98. West Virginia Public Broadcasting explores the life and legacy of Williams in Woody Williams, An Extraordinary Life of Service. Bill Lynch spoke with filmmakers Janet Kanicki and myself. When did you, you know, first encounter Woody Williams? I first encountered him, oh, maybe 15, 20 years ago when I was working for WSAZ as a field reporter, and he was just in my beat, and so a couple of times when you went and covered a Veterans Day ceremony or something, there he was. He was the speaker. Got to know him a little bit and uh, and done stories off and on with him ever since. For me, uh, just always saw him at the Capitol during session and uh, never really interacted with him, but I always saw him wearing his Medal of Honor. And fast forward a couple of few, whatever, years later, um, Randy and I were in the Senate chambers waiting to interview somebody. There's Woody. <laughs> and it's like, sir, can I get my picture taken with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, that's one of my prized pictures now. He had a heck of a presence. I mean, he could gently dominate a scene. He wasn't overbearing. I mean, he had one of the best balances I've ever met of any person. He was always on a mission. He always had something to do. He could talk to a, a prince or a pauper the same way. And he had, a, he had this kind of a gentle, demonstrative air about him that I've not really seen in anybody else ever in my life. How long was this documentary in development? When did you guys start? We started um, when he passed away last year in June. And uh, Randy, I guess, was assigned to cover the events. And, uh, we for just, radio, yeah. For radio. So we just teamed up with radio and video. She brought her camera. Yeah. And, and he brought I his mic. <laughs> brought my mic. And uh, so we covered it really thoroughly. And, and then Janet went to D.C. to cover to, him lying in honor there at the Capitol. At the Capitol. And uh, I came back, having all this footage. It's like, we got to do something with it. Where did the working on this documentary take you? Where did you go? Jeez. Um, well, after Janet went mm -hmm. to D.C., uh, then we went first to the Marine Corps Museum uh, just outside Quantico, Virginia. Right. But just getting that insight at Quantico was, was the first place we, we went and interviewed their curator there and, and saw their exhibits and, and saw how Woody was, was so revered. When Marines learn how to be Marines in boot camp, there's a Woody lesson. For every single Marine, you know, this is what you need to aspire to. From there, we went to 
New Orleans to the World War II Museum. Right. That's where we got the most famous line of our whole documentary. <laughs> Love it. Was a, a young lady, what's her name? Constance Whitaker. Constance Whitaker. And Love I'm it. interviewing her, and, I, and she's talking about how she met Woody and how he would, a crowd, a crowd would be drawn to him and stuff. And I says, was he kind of like a rock star? And she goes, he was a friggin' rock star. So much gusto and sincerity. Just at a rough estimate, how many hours went into this? Hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Many, many hours. Some of them were hard. More for Janet than me because we didn't know it was going to be a half hour, hour. We decided then not to worry about it. Let's just write the story. What do you hope people will take away from your documentary? Just the passion that Woody had to serve, that they would pick up on that too, that it's not about him, but it's about other people. That they would... Just pick that up, too. Uh, and, and I speak to that for myself as well, that I would think about other people before myself. I mean, just in talking to his daughter and his grandson, and we spent a lot of time, two or three trips to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where the Woody Williams Foundation is headquartered, and now his grandson, Chad Graham, runs it. We just saw throughout his family and his life, it was service. It was just being an unselfishness that's hard to describe, yeah. that it's not just about veterans, although for him it was about veterans and then everybody else, a guy on the street, you know, somebody he'd heard about, um, something that needed to be done to help people get from point A to point B. And he took that job beyond any kind of a scope that you would think needed just didn't just help them fill out their forms to make sure that they got their GI Bill money and stuff like that. I mean, he went to Vietnam during the Vietnam War to help him to, what's the word, acclimate, come back, because so many other people in Vietnam had the PTSD when they came back. And somebody that had a personal problem, he'd drop everything he did, go to their house, and stay as long as he needed to. But he was just unselfish. Unselfish, yeah. Randy, Janet, thank you very much. That's it for West Virginia Week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week. As always, you can see these stories and more at wvpublic.org. I'm Randy Yowie.